Welcome to the Right Brain Podcast with me, Leela Krishna. We're reading the novel Anandamath or The Sacred Brotherhood written by Bankim Chandra Chatterjee. Sign up at leela.substack.com That's L-I-L-A dot S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com to get these episodes delivered straight to your inbox. In last week's episode, Kalyani and her child were abducted by a group of people so hungry they were willing to eat each other and Kalyani. She escaped from them into the forest and was rescued by an ascetic in white. As she waits in a secluded monastery, the ascetic goes out in search of her husband. What happens next? Listen on to find out in this third episode of Anandamath. It was late in the night and the moon rode high overhead. It was not the full moon and its brilliance was not so keen. An uncertain light, confused with shadowy hints of darkness, lay over an open common of immense extent, the two extremities of which could not be seen in that pale luster. This plain affected the mind like something illimitable and deserted, a very abode of fear. Through it there ran the road between Murshidabad and Calcutta. On the road was a small hill which bore upon it a goodly number of mango trees. The treetops glimmered and trembled with a sibilant rustle in the moonlight and their shadows too, black upon the blackness of rocks, shook and quivered. The ascetic climbed to the top of the hill and there, in rigid silence, listened. But for what he listened, it is not easy to say. For in that great plain that seemed as vast as infinity, there was not a sound except the murmurous rustle of the trees. At one spot, there is a great jungle near the foot of the hill. The hill above, the high road below, the jungle between. I do not know what sound met his ear from the jungle, but it was in that direction the ascetic went. Entering into the denseness of growth he saw in the forest, under the darkness of the branches at the foot of long rows of trees, men sitting. Men, tall of stature, black of hue, armed, their burnished weapons glittered furily in the moonlight, where it fell through gaps in the woodland leafage. Two hundred such armed men were sitting there, not one uttering a single word. The ascetic went slowly into their midst and made some signal, but not a man arose, none spoke, none made a sound. He passed in front of all, looking at each as he went, scanning every face in the gloom as if he were searching for someone he could not find. In his search he recognized one. He touched him and made a sign, at which the other instantly rose. The ascetic took him to a distance and they stood and talked. The man was young, his handsome face wore a thick black moustache and beard, his frame was full of strength, his whole presence beautiful and attractive. He wore an ochre-coloured robe, and on all his limbs the fairness and sweetness of sandal was smeared. The Brahmacharan said to him, Bhavananda, have you any news of Mohindra Singha? Bhavananda answered, Mohindra Singha and his wife and child left their house today. On the way, at the inn... At this point, the ascetic interrupted him. I know what happened at the inn. Who did it? Village rustics, I imagine. These days, the peasants of all the villages have turned dacoits from compulsion of hunger. And who is not a dacoit nowadays? Today, we have also looted and eaten. Two mounds of rice belonging to the chief of police were on its way. We took it and consecrated it to a devotee's dinner. The ascetic laughed and said, I have rescued his wife and child from the thieves. I have just left them in the monastery. Now it is your charge to find Mahindra and deliver his wife and daughter to his keeping. 
Jeevananda's presence here will be sufficient for the success of today's business. Bhavananda undertook the mission and the ascetic departed elsewhere. Mohendra rose from the floor of the inn where he was sitting, for nothing could be gained by sitting and thinking over his loss. He started in the direction of the town with the idea of taking the help of the officials in the search for his wife and child. After journeying for some distance, he saw in the road a number of bullock carts surrounded by a great company of sepoys. In the year 1769, the province of Bengal had not yet become subject to British administration. The English were then the revenue officials of Bengal. They collected the taxes due to the treasury, but up to that time, they had not taken upon themselves the burden of protecting the life and property of the Bengali people. The burden they had accepted was to take the country's money. The responsibility of protecting life and property lay upon that despicable traitor and disgrace to humanity, Mir Zafar. Mir Zafar was incapable of protecting even himself. It was not likely that he could or would protect the people of Bengal. Mir Zafar took opium and slept. The English raked in the rupees and wrote dispatches. As for the people of Bengal, they wept and went to ruin. The taxes of the province were therefore the due of the English, but the burden of administration was on the Nawab. Wherever the English themselves collected the taxes due to them, they had appointed a collector, but the revenue collected went to Calcutta. People might die of starvation, but the collection of their money did not stop for a moment. However, very much could not be collected, for if Mother Earth does not yield wealth, no one can create wealth out of nothing. Be that as it may, the little that could be collected had been made into cartloads and was on its way to the company's treasury at Calcutta, under the charge of a military escort. At this time, there was a great danger from decoits, so fifty armed sepoys marched with fixed bayonets, ranked before and behind the carts. Their captain was an English soldier who went on horseback in the rear of the force. On account of the heat, the sepoys did not march by day, but only by night. As they marched, Mahindra's progress was stopped by the treasure carts and this military array. Mahindra, seeing his way barred by sepoys and carts, stood at the side of the road, but as the sepoys still jostled him in passing, holding this to be no fit time for debate, he went and stood at the edge of the jungle by the road. Then a sepoy said in Hindi, See, there's a dacoit making off. The sight of the gun in Mahindra's hand confirmed this belief. He went for Mahindra, caught hold of his neck and screaming, Rogue! Thief! Suddenly gave him a blow of the fist and wrested the gun from his hand. Mahindra, empty-handed, merely returned the blow. Needless to say, Mahindra was more than a little angry, and the worthy sepoy reeled with the blow and went down stunned on the road. Upon that, three or four sepoys came up, took hold of Mahindra, and dragging him forcibly to the commander, told the sahib, This man has killed one of our sepoys. The sahib was smoking, and a little bewildered with strong drink, he replied, Catch hold of the rogue and marry him. The soldiers did not understand how they were to marry an armed highwayman, but in the hope that with the passing of intoxication, the sahib would change his mind and the marriage would not be forced on them. Three or four sepoys bound Mahindra's hand and feet with the halters of the cart bullocks and lifted him onto the cart. Mohendra saw that it would be vain to use force against so many, and even if he could escape by force, what was the use? Mohindra was depressed and sorrowful with grief for his wife and child, and had no desire for life. 
the sepoys bound Mahindra securely to the wheel of the cart. Then, with a slow and heavy stride, the escort proceeded on its march. Possessed of the ascetic's command, Bhavananda went in the direction of the inn where Mohindra had been sitting, for he thought it likely that there he would get a clue to Mohindra's whereabouts. At that time, the present roads made by the English were not in existence. In order to come to Calcutta from the district towns, one had to travel by the marvellous roads laid down by the Mughal emperors. On his way from Padachina to the town, Mohindra had been travelling from south to north, and it was therefore that he met the soldiers on the way. The direction Bhavananda had to take from the hill of the palms towards the inn was also from south to north. He too on his way fell in with the sepoys in charge of the treasure. Like Mohindra, he stood aside to let them pass. Now, for one thing, the soldiers naturally believed that the decoys would be sure to attempt the plunder of this dispatch of treasure, and on that apprehension came the arrest of a decoit in this very highway. When they saw Bhavananda too, standing aside in the night, they inevitably concluded, here was another decoit. Accordingly, they seized him on the spot. Bhavananda smiled softly and said, Why so, my good fellow? Rogue, answered a sepoy, you are a robber. You can very well see that I am an ascetic wearing the yellow robe. Is this the appearance of a robber? There are plenty of rascally ascetics and sannyasis who rob too, retorted the sepoy, and he began to push and drag Bhavananda. Bhavananda's eyes flashed in the darkness, but he only said very humbly, Good master, let me know your commands. The sepoy was pleased at Bhavananda's politeness and said, Here, rascal, take this load and carry it. And he clapped a bundle on Bhavananda's head. Then another of the sepoys said to the first, No, he will run away. Tie up the rascal on the cart where the other rogue is bound. Bhavananda grew curious to know who was the man they had bound. He threw away his bundle and slapped the soldier who had put it there. In consequence, the sepoys bound Bhavananda, lifted him onto the cart and flung him down near Mahindra. Bhavananda at once recognized Mahindra Singha. The sepoys again marched on, carelessly and with noise, and the creaking of the cartwheels recommenced. Then softly and in a voice audible only to Mahindra, Bhavananda said, Mahindra Singha, I know you and I am here to give you help. There is no need for you to know right now who I am. Do very carefully what I tell you. Put that rope that ties your hand on the wheels of the cart. Mohindra, though astonished, carried out Bhavananda's suggestion without a word. Moving a little towards the cartwheel under cover of darkness, he placed the rope that tied his hand so as to just touch the wheel. The rope was gradually cut through by the friction of the wheel. Then he cut the rope on his feet by the same means. As soon as he was free of his bonds, by Bhavananda's advice, he lay inert on the cart. Bhavananda also severed his bonds by the same device. Both lay utterly still and motionless. The path of the soldiers took them precisely by the road where the ascetic had stood in the highway near the jungle and gazed around him. As soon as they arrived near the hill, they saw under it, on the top of a mound, a man standing. Catching sight of his dark figure silhouetted against the moonlit azure sky, the Havildar said, There is another one of the rogues. Catch him and bring him here. He shall carry a load. At that, a soldier went to catch the man. But though he saw the fellow coming to lay hold on him, the watcher stood firm. He did not stir. 
When the soldier laid hands on him, he said nothing. When he was brought as a prisoner to the Havildar, even then he said nothing. The Havildar ordered a load to be put on his head. A soldier put the load in place, he took it on his head. Then the Havildar turned away and started marching with the cart. At this moment, a pistol shot suddenly rang out and the Havildar, pierced through the head, fell on the road and breathed his last. A soldier shouted, This rascal has shot the Havildar! and seized the luggage bearer's hand. The bearer still had the pistol in his grasp. He threw the load from him and struck the soldier on the head with the butt of his pistol. The man's head broke and he dropped. Then, with a cry of hurry, two hundred armed men surrounded the soldiery. The men at that moment were awaiting the arrival of their English captain, who, thinking the dacaits were on him, came swiftly up the cart and gave the order to form a square, for an Englishman's intoxication vanishes at the touch of danger. The sepoys immediately formed into a square facing four ways, and at farther command of their captain, lifted their guns in act to fire. At this critical moment, someone suddenly wrested the Englishman's sword from his belt and with one blow severed his head from his body. With the rolling of the Englishman's head from his shoulders, the unspoken command to fire was silenced forever. All looked and saw a man standing on the cart, sword in hand, and calling, Kill! Kill the soldiers! It was Bhavananda. The sudden sight of their captain headless and the failure of any officer to give the command for defensive action kept the soldiers for a few moments passive and appalled. The daring assailants took advantage of this opportunity to slay and wound many, reach the carts and take possession of the money chests. The soldiers lost courage, accepted defeat and took to flight. The man who had stood on the mound and afterwards assumed the chief leadership of the attack came to Bhavananda. After a mutual embrace, Bhavananda said, Brother Jivananda, it was to good purpose that you took the woe of our brotherhood. Bhavananda, replied Jivananda, justified be your name. Jivananda was charged with the job of arranging for the removal of the plundered treasure to its proper place and he swiftly departed with his following. Bhavananda alone remained standing on the field of action. Mohindra had descended from the cart, wrested a weapon from one of the sepoys and made ready to join in the fight. But at this moment, it came home clearly to him that these men were robbers and the plunder of the treasure, the object of their attack on the soldiery. In obedience to this idea, he stood away from the scene of the fight, for to help the robbers meant to be a partner in their ill-doing. Then he flung the sword away and was slowly leaving the place when Bhavananda came and stood near him. Mahindra said to him, Tell me, who are you? Bhavananda replied, What need have you to know that? You have done me today a very great service, Mahindra said. I hardly thought you realized it, said Bhavananda. You had a weapon in your hand and yet you stood apart. A landholder you are and that's a man good at consuming milk and ghee. But when work has to be done, an ape. Before Bhavananda had well finished his tirade, Mahindra answered with contempt and disgust, but this is bad work, a robbery. Robbery or not, retorted Bhavananda, we have done you some little service and are willing to do you a little more. You have done me some service, I own, said Mahindra, but what new service can you do to me? And at a robber's hands I am better unhelped than help. Whether you accept our proffered service or not, said Bhavananda, depends on your own choice. If you do choose to take it, come with me. I will bring you where you can meet your wife and child. 
Mahendra turned and stood still. What? he cried. Bhavananda walked on without any reply and Mahendra had no choice but to walk on with him, wondering in his heart what new kind of robbers these were. That was episode 3 of Anandamat. Wasn't that an action-packed episode? There's more like that to come. Anandamat was written by Bankim Chandra Chatterjee, translated into English by Sri Aurobindo and Borin Ghosh, and narrated by Leela Krishna. Sign up at leelarodsubstack.com. That's L-I-L-A dot S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com to get these episodes delivered straight to your inbox.